Good evening. As I said, my name is Matt. Lovely to be with you. And we're going to think about enjoying God in song. And we're going to, I'm going to read from Psalm 147 as we begin. So why don't you um, turn that up? I've got the ESV here, but follow along in whatever you've got. Um, but having said that, as I read, um, feel free to read along, but you might want to just shut your eyes and listen. I sometimes find that if I'm reading along, I just kind of get far too far ahead of the reading and then jump back. And so up to you. Follow along if you want. But if you want, you could just sit and listen and Truths about the Lord in this psalm. You might want to just, just picture some of these images the psalmist paints for us. Up to you. But that might be one way for you to engage with the reading as we hear God's word to us from Psalm 147. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant. And the song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He cast the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates, he blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word. And melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob. His statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This Psalm comes at the end of the book of Psalms, <clears throat> comes in that, what's sometimes known as the, the final hallelujah, these Psalms that begin and end with praise the Lord, praise the Lord. As we've sung in that great song, all of history is heading towards the day when we will praise our God forever. And this Psalm is teaching us about praising that God and we can use it to help us this evening think about how we enjoy God, particularly through 
song. We enjoy God in so many ways. We engage with his word. We, we pray to him and, and in song. And this psalm begins, praise the Lord. It is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. We're commanded to praise. We're commanded to sing in scripture. As Christians, it's something we, we're told to do. But imagine a, a, let's say, a seven-year-old girl on her birthday and parents have prepared a surprise for her and they say, just, just sit there, shut your eyes and we're going to bring it through. And then as the, the, the present comes through and they say, open your eyes. Now that's a command, isn't it? Open your eyes. But that's not a burdensome thing at this point. That is, you now get to see what has been prepared. You now get to enjoy the wonders of this present we've chosen for you, or this cake we've baked for you. And similarly, when God says to us, praise the Lord, that's not a burdensome thing. Oh no, another thing we've got to do as Christians. Not only do I fail at reading the Bible, I fail at prayer. I also fail at praising God. But it's more like that command, open your eyes to, to reality, to the riches of not just a birthday present or a cake, but who God is. Praise the Lord is an invitation to see things as they are. I loved it when we heard from Dan yesterday. Through God's word, God wants to instruct the simple. God wants to, through his word, give light to our eyes. God what. God's purposes are good, and, and so with this call to praise him, it's not, a, it's not a self-centered thing on God's part. Rather, it's what we were created for. Humanity was created to worship. Actually, we see that we all worship something. Everyone needs to have something they cling on to, whether it's Newcastle United or, or whatever it is that people, people devote their time and energy and attention to. And We're created to worship God. And God calls us to praise him, to open our eyes to the reality of who he is for our good and for his glory. It's good to praise. It is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. In my ESV, there's a footnote. It could be translated, praise is pleasant or it could be for God is beautiful. I'm more persuaded by that. It's good to sing praise, not just because praise in itself is a good thing, but because of the object of our praise. It's not simply that singing songs together is worth doing. Well, actually, get a Anfield on a Saturday afternoon and you might think, there, you know, there is something about singing together, but it's not, it's about what we're singing about, who we're singing about. For he is beautiful. Our God is, is wonderful, is worthy of praise. And so to sing of him, such an appropriate thing. God is captivating. Just two weekends ago, I was doing a weekend away. Um, a friend of mine's a minister up in Carlisle and asked me to come and speak on the character of Jesus. And we had a, had a weekend just looking at Jesus' character. And we used the fruit of the Spirit as descriptions of Jesus' character. And we thought about Jesus being loving, Jesus being joyful, Jesus being kind, Jesus being gentle. We didn't have enough sessions in the weekend to get through the list. But, um, but what a wonderful thing to do just to spend some time focusing on our Lord. We're, we're not simply people who have been saved from hell for blessing, though that is gloriously true. We've been saved for relationship with this 
God and praise is as we open our eyes and see him as he is and declare his majesty. Three times in the psalm, well, four if you include the end, there's, there's a call to praise. You get, you get it in verse one and then you get reasons to praise. Praise the Lord and as always in the psalms, then and here's why. Verse 7, sing to the Lord, and then here's why. Verse 12, praise the Lord, and then here's why. Call to praise, always accompanied by reasons to praise. And just, if I look, if I look down my translation, the first word in just about every sentence in this psalm is he. Did you notice that? He. Descriptions of God. This would be classified by the, the psalm scientists as a praise psalm. But really, it's a God is amazing psalm. And the response is praise. This psalm isn't about worship, really. It's about God and who he is and how wonderful he is. And of course, the response. I think the response the psalmist wants is, is worship. But he doesn't say right now, look inside yourselves, people. Find a, find a worshipping heart deep within. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're struggling with praise. Maybe, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I get this. When life's been difficult or you're just knackered or there have been discouragements or you're ill or whatever it might be and your heart is not naturally bubbling up with praise to God and we can, we can do a number of things. I think the wrong thing to do is to look within thinking, can I just summon up the energy? Like it's raining outside, but you think I really should go for a run. And you just think, I'm just going to summon up the energy, grip my teeth and, and find some praise in there somewhere. The psalmist would say, no, don't be looking within. Look up to him. The call to praise is always backed up, always fueled by these reasons. Is anyone here watching Strictly? We're the only family that's strictly junkies. We are. <laughs> it's been nice being with you. <laughs> on Strictly, um, Helen Skelton, who used to present Blue Peter, was interviewed. She's one of the contestants. And you know Blue Peter, the longest-running kids' show. And I love the way she described working on Blue Peter. She said, I had the most amazing job in the world, she said. I got to excite kids about the world. Can you think of anything better to do? And I thought, you know what? I think I can. <laughs> but what a wonderful way of putting it. I get to excite kids about the world. I get to excite people about Jesus. Many ways we could define ministry, many books on ministry. But I'm going to remember her comment and the joy with which she said, I get to, not I have to, I get to excite kids about Jesus. And I thought, can that be my... Posture, that, can that be the way I think of ministry? I get to excite people about Jesus. Many other things we do in ministry, but exciting people about Jesus. And this, this psalm is, is full of reasons to praise God. How do we grow in our praise? Just spend some time pondering our Lord. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the psalm along the way, learning about praise, worship, psalm. At the end, I've got seven tips for those who lead music in church. So that's a little, a little trailer for those of you who are desperate for the practical outworkings. Seven <laughs> tips coming your way in about ten minutes' time. <laughs> but really, 
what is most important is our hearts being lifted to God for who he is as we meditate on him. And that's, that's what calls forth praise. So let's, let's, let's join in with the psalmist. Let's see what we learn about God. And along the way, see if our hearts aren't, aren't tuned to worship him a little bit more. Because, because when we sing, we express emotion when we sing, don't we? If we're happy, we can sing songs of joy. But I, I've become persuaded from the scriptures that singing also shapes us. I think that's one of the reasons we're commanded to do it so often. It doesn't just express our emotions, it shapes us. I think it was Calvin who came up with the phrase initially, but I've heard it used a lot since. Singing retunes our hearts. As naturally I've got the, the, the noise of the world and, and my own self-centeredness and and things just, just going constantly, just, just forming me and shaping me in a particular way. And then as we praise God, as we take his words on our lips and sing them, particularly sing them together, we're opening our eyes to reality. Our hearts are being retuned to what is really important, what is really good and true and beautiful. When we sing, how great is our God? That, that does something to us. When we... I might tell you God is great, and you can sit there and sort of passively hear that. But if you take those words on your lips, you're, you're almost forced to think, do I believe this or not? And if not, maybe I won't sing. And, if I do, and, it, and it shapes us, and we're, we're involved in it. Actually, what a wonderful thing, what a, what a unifying thing corporately to be saying these things. It's, it's, I'm all for preaching. I have a high view of pre, the preached word of God. But it... it can be something more of a passive activity at times, but when we, when we sing to God, we are taking his word on our lips, and that, that is doing something different. That's not to underplay preaching, but just to see there's a, there's a significant moment when all God's people join in with the same words, saying, Jesus is king and I will extol him. And when I look around and see my neighbour singing those words, and that reminds me, yeah, I believe that too. We're united in this. When we use our bodies, Christianity is not, we sort of become, many in the West, we become convinced Christianity is just believe the right things and that's it, it's just an intellectual exercise. And we sing and, and maybe, maybe we all stand at the same time and we all sit down together and that's a unifying thing. And we, and we use our bodies and our voices and it's reflecting all of I am, all of who God has made me is for his glory. So, praise the Lord. Let's see some reasons why. Verse 2. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals up the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I think the picture here is of bringing back the exiles. Remember, God's people had sinned. They'd been cast out of the land to the east, just as they'd been cast out of the Garden of Eden in the beginning. They were far from God because of their sin. And what sort of God do we worship? A God who gathers the outcasts, who brings them home. Our God is in the business of bringing people who are far from him because of their sin and bringing them home. If we're Christians, that's our story, isn't it? We were far. We were exiled. And it was our own fault. But God brought us home. And lots of people in this room I've not met before. 
I don't know, I don't know how you're feeling now, but maybe you're, you're burdened by sin and feeling, like, I just deserve to be at a distance. Maybe some of the people you minister to, that, that's their reality. And we need to remember this God is in the business of bringing people home. No one has gone too far. No one has sinned too much that God doesn't delight to bring home. And I love what happens when he brings his people home, when they get there. Verse 3, is he waiting there with a stern word and a don't do that again? Verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. A God who brings his people home and does so with grace and compassion. And isn't this Christ's character foreshadowed years before he came? God has always been like this. We need to understand when Jesus walked on this earth, he wasn't doing something different. He was rather showing what God was always like and always will be like. God is a God who heals the brokenhearted. Maybe there are broken hearts here this week. Maybe there are wounds that need to be bound up. Maybe there are wounds that aren't visible you haven't shared with others and perhaps feel they can't ever be healed. But the Lord is in the business of healing the brokenhearted and binding up their wounds. What's the, what's the God of the universe like? He's like this. He's a God who delights to bring people home even when they've blown it and who delights to care for the weak and the needy. Is that a God you could get excited about? Is that a God you might want to sing about? I, I could get excited if by a God who is really that good. Verse 4. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord, abundant is power. His understanding is beyond measure. I did some, um, I did some research using the Google. And um, apparently the number of stars in the universe... In 2016, it got 10 times bigger than anyone had thought. In, 10 time, in 2016, NASA said, sorry, everyone, we thought the universe was small. It's actually, the universe is 10 times bigger than we thought. So in 2016, and that's just the known universe. Two trillion galaxies, I can't get my head around that. That works out at 20 galaxies per, of stars, each with millions of stars, per person who has ever lived on the Earth. That's quite a lot. I still can't get around my head that many stars that God names them. Um, let's just name some stars. It's easy with kids in the room, but let's do it with adults. N n someone name, name a star. Give us a name for a star. Cassiopeia. They, they don't have to be real names. We can name them. Just choose. <laughs> Cass Cassiopeia. I'm going to call mine Fred. What are you going to call your star? <laughs> let's call it Duncan. <laughs> Bit self-centered, but okay. <laughs> Not judging. I sat next to Duncan once, and I'm being mean to him already. <laughs> Here we go. If everybody who had ever lived, everyone who had ever lived, spent their lifetime naming stars at one star per second of their lifetime, we would still have named less than 1% of the stars that exist. God names all the stars. Yeah, his understanding is beyond measure. I mean... My, I can't even get my head around that. But then, I love how the camera zooms in, verse 6, the Lord lifts up the humble. As if the psalmist is saying, this God is so much bigger and more amazing and more majestic and more splendid and 
supreme than you could ever imagine. This God is just huge. And he lifts up the humble. Also, this God is closer and more compassionate and more gracious than we'd ever dream. The hands that fashion the stars wash the disciples' feet and then receive nails on the cross. The one who stretched out the heavens is the one who binds up your wounds and mine. Praise the Lord, the psalmist says. Where does that praise come from? Meditate on a God like this. This is reason to rejoice and sing to him. Verse 7. God is our provider. We're not going to get through the whole psalm, by the way, in case you're sort of adding up the time and thinking we'll be here till <laughs> midway through next week. We're going to focus on the first half. Seven to nine. God, God our provider. Sing to the Lord. We get the command again. Notice how praise and sing to the Lord, they're sort of they're interchangeable in the psalm. It's assumed that praise will involve singing. I don't think that's the only part of praise, but it's assumed that part of how we praise God will be singing. Christians have sung through history. It's a, it's a characteristically Christian thing, isn't it, really? John Stott wrote about in the book in his book, The Cross of Christ. He's got a chapter in there, The Community of Celebration, where he speaks about how it's a distinctively Christian thing. Other religions effectively come to their place of worship to, to do something for God, hoping to receive some kind of favour. Christians come knowing that it's been done by Christ, and we sing songs of joy. There is something very theological about singing together. It, it's the it's same job is done. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again, and I get to sing that I've been, part, I've been made part of that story. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, make melody to our God. And here we see his, his provision in creation. He covers the heaven with clouds, prepares rain for the earth, grass grow on the hills. I think the psalmist is saying just, you know, we've all looked around the beautiful countryside here, I think, the psalmist saying there, there are lenses to see everything that happens here. This is the activity, this is the good providential care of our God. The Lord does this. I wonder if Jesus was meditating on this psalm when he then told his disciples, do not worry, consider the flowers of the field, consider the birds of the air that the Lord feeds. It very much feels like it's drawing on this sort of language. The Lord is involved in all of creation as you... Go for a walk down by the river or whatever you do in this beautiful part of the world. Just think, this is my father's world. This is for Christ and through Christ. Hallelujah. And we get to share in it. We get to enjoy it, but it's not primarily about us. The Lord is doing these things. And verse 10, his delight is not in the strength of the horse that could be war horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man or the legs of a warrior. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. I think this follows on from God being the one who names all the stars. A God who is this supreme doesn't need our strength. God does not need your strength. God doesn't delight in human power or wisdom, or strategic influence. God doesn't need our churches. God doesn't need our ministry strategies. God doesn't need our conferences. God doesn't need our sermons. God doesn't need our community outreach. 
God is supreme. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He makes known the end from the beginning. The Lord says, I will do as I please. In verses we'll see from Isaiah tomorrow. The Lord doesn't need strong, big people because he's a strong, big God. And that means gloriously God can use little people. Maybe people like us. Those the Lord delights in. Those who fear him. Who hope in his steadfast love. Those who fear him. Fear of the Lord. It's not a terror, but it's a recognising he is big and I am small. It's putting ourselves in right position according to him. Not, not taking a position that belongs to God, but saying, yes, I am I'm just a, a, a creature. And you are God. And letting God be God. And this is both humbling but incredibly liberating. Francis Schaeffer famously said, there are no little people in the kingdom of God. You see, it means that whatever worldly metrics we tend to judge people by, God's not in that business. We, we judge, we, we kind of subtly find out, you kind of got a bit of education behind you, what job have you got maybe? Are you kind of socially confident? Can you... If you're in church, can you do a, like an A5 fly? If you can do that, you're immediately top of the list because everyone always needs that doing. Um, and we, and we, you know, I do it. We, we value people according to different abilities, don't we? In different contexts, they're, you know, they're different. What we value people, maybe in some contexts, is their sporting ability, it's their physical, physical strength. But we, we, can, we can value people. And, and always there's some people who are bottom of the pile who don't seem to have the skills or the energy or the mental health to be as useful as all these other people. And the Lord says, I'm not in that game. My delight is not in the strength of a war horse or the legs of a warrior. I want those who fear me. And that is, that is liberating. There are no little people. I think, therefore, there are no little churches Uh, I don't know if people know Alec Mortier, who's a great preacher and commentary writer, di died a few years ago. He had a lovely illustration. Has anyone, I don't know if we've had a clear night. Has anyone seen the moon in the last, last day or two? Alec Mortier's a wonderful illustration. When you look up to the moon, you just see that just this thin crescent of the moon. And you say, there's the moon. You don't say there's part of the moon. You say, there's the moon. And he said, so it is with the church. No matter how, how little a piece we see, we say, there's, there's the church. There's seven people in your congregation. You see, there's a little bit of the church. We say, there's the church. That's, that's God doing his thing. God doesn't delight in the strength of a man. God doesn't delight in churches of 500 more than churches of seven. He takes pleasure in those who fear him. That's liberating. That's reasons to praise and sing to him. Oh man, we could, we could go on in the psalm, but let's just come to, come to verse 20 again. Praise the Lord. This psalm says, praise the Lord. It's a good thing to do. It's fitting because he's beautiful. Praise, enjoying God in song. It's, in a sense, it's not about the music. It's about him. This is a God-given gift to help us see who he is. When people used to try and sail across the Atlantic years ago, didn't have all the GPS and all the rest of it. And as they're sailing, how could they keep their course when, of course, there's you know, wind, waves, and all, all is moving around? 
And in the sky, all the stars moved, but the North Star stayed put. And so the seafarers, they would navigate by the North Star. They'd fix their eyes on the North Star. Everything else would move, but that was in place. They got that in place. They could work out where they were, and they could safely get across the stormy seas. And I think, I think seeing who God is, praising and worshipping him rightly, that is, that is like the North Star for us. Whatever waves and seas we're navigating through, get God in the right place. And our praise and worship is one of the means God has helped, has given us to help us do this. It's not the only one, but it's one of the means. Get God in the right place and everything else finds its place. We can navigate our way across these stormy seas. And as we've seen, the place we're heading to is the place of endless praise. It's the place of gathering around the throne of the Lamb forever, celebrating God's salvation. We sing songs celebrating the cross. Celebrating God's character, who he is, what he is to us. We look forward to praising God forever. Before I pray, seven really quick things then. So if this is what praise is all about, it's about the singing of God's people in response to what God has done. That actually means that it's not about music or it's not about the band as much as it's about the people together singing. So those who play in a band, like I do in church, I played at my church on Sunday, we are the accompaniment group. That's it, nothing more. We are there to accompany, to support God's people as they sing praise. And so some tips to do that well. Choose the right key that people can sing in. Old hymns are written, people used to be short, which meant their, vo- their vocal cords were short, which means they sung much more highly. We've all, we've all grown in the last 150 years. So often old hymns are too high. Try and sing Heart the Herald Angels Sing, case in point. Or Robbie Williams' Angels, I don't know what. Anyway, but most old hymns are too high. Sing in the right key. Uh, choose the right pace. So again, it's for the sake of the people who are singing. Um, give a clear lead when to start singing. Our job, the main thing you want to do is help people sing. Give a clear lead. Uh, so looking at the congregation, if you can get your eyes off the music and look at those you're singing to. Um, simple is fine. Often I go to small churches and say, how can our music get better? And I can think, people sound brilliantly. What do you mean? What they mean is, how can we grow our band? Why would you want to grow your band? God's people were praising him together beautifully. What, why do you want more people up here showing off? I mean, you know, that's the risk, isn't it? And I'm one of them. I'm preaching to myself here. It's about God's people singing. What, what, to be honest, we, we just sang a cappella, didn't we, at the end there? We didn't need, I mean, this is a group of people who are keen, motivated, we know, we know the words, but we don't need very much. And I just, I get nervous about the whole kind of big church thing when you're a big band. I've been to churches where I can't hear myself sing, so I've given up. Professional musicians, but simple's fine. Encourage those in the band to actually sing. If it's about God's people responding to him in praise, then wonderful if those up here aren't performing on the guitar, doing their amazing solo, but actually uh, singing to God. It probably means you can play about 20% of your ability if you're singing as well, because so much of your attention is on singing. Good. That's as it should be. Listen. Listen to the people. If you're playing, again, aim aim to play something about 20% of your range of what you can play, and listen and think, are people singing? If not, why not? And can I help them? Because this is a chance for them to engage with our God, who is so worthy of praise. Anything I can do to help them. So I'm going to listen. Okay, they're struggling. It's because it's too fast. 
Okay, we'll slow down then. Listen. And choose songs to fit your setting. Lots of the stuff you listen to on CDs may have a thousand people in the congregation. Seven guitars, three drum kits. And it relies on that to be sung. Whereas people like 20 Schemes and others are writing songs that can be sung by eight people and work. They don't need all that, so choose songs that, that, that fit. And be aware of the presence of God. This is an opportunity to enjoy our God in song. And it's something I've been, just, just, just as, as we're singing now, just consciously, not just singing the words, but thinking, yes, Lord, I'm singing to you. I'm aware of those around me, encouraging one another, but also aware of who God is. And as we sing, saying, Lord, this is a gift from you. This music is a gift from you to help me enjoy you more. Would you, would you help me? Would you help us enjoy you more as we sing together? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. And you have been so good to us in Christ. And songs of praise are fitting. They are they're the right response to your kindness. And Lord, would we not be people who are so much into music as people who are captivated by you? We pray as, as those who lead others, would we model that what we care most about is devotion to Jesus. And please help us through our singing, as with our Bible reading and prayer, that it would not be a burdensome duty, but an opportunity to spend time with you, to open our eyes to the riches of your character and your work for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for those